Hello, Swim Talkers, and welcome to another edition of Torpedo Swim Talk. I'm your host, Danielle Sperling, and each week I chat to swimmers from around the globe about things that are interesting and relevant to the master swimming community. I was delighted to welcome to the podcast today LA Olympic bronze medalist and sports manager to the likes of Adam Peaty and his niece, Emma McKeon, to name a few, all-round nice guy, Rob Woodhouse. Thank you, Bob. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Danielle. Yeah, thanks for giving up your time and coming on and sharing some of your swimming journey with us. Do you manage to get in much swimming yourself these days? Uh, more when I'm in Australia um, rather than when I'm in Scotland for obvious reasons. But, uh, yeah, the pool, pool access is, is probably not um, the issue. It's more uh, laziness, I think, um, not, getting, uh, not get, finding a pool in depths of winter in Scotland, actually. But, uh, no, I've been enjoying being in Australia these last few months and, um, and, and getting to swim quite a lot of the pools around Melbourne, actually, and the bay. Yeah, absolutely. We've had a, a nice summer for swimming outdoors. And I suppose in Scotland, they're mainly obviously indoor pools, are they? Uh, yes, pretty much all indoor pools. Um, there's a few 50-metre pools. Most of them are 25-metre pools. But, um, uh, yeah, access has been pretty tough, particularly with um, with COVID, as I know it's been all around the world, including here in, in Australia. But um, uh, it's been pretty tough. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, um, I'll need to get back into things when I get back to Scotland. Yeah. Can you swim off? Um, you're in Glasgow, aren't you? I'm about 40 minutes from Glasgow. Yeah. Can you swim much in the ocean there or is it just too cold? Yeah, I'm near, well, you can. It's it's freezing. Um, but, uh, look, there are people that swim pretty much all year round and yeah. um, uh, a bit like they in Melbourne. You know, it's very, very cold in the bay in winter here and it's pretty much the same over there. But, but we, do get, we do get snow and ice on the beach and things like that, so you can imagine what the water temperature is like. Um, uh, I find it cold there in summer, but uh, I do get it in summer and, um, yeah, uh, but I, I'm, I'm probably more a pool swimmer when I'm there, but I'm enjoying the bays and the oceans here in, uh, in Australia, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a pity that the uh, Peter Pub was changed to a virtual swim because you would have enjoyed sort of coming back to that and doing that. I know. I was looking forward to it. I, I hadn't done any training really, um, <laughs> other than a few weeks uh, that I'd been here before the race, uh, before the event. But um, uh, I was really looking forward to it. I can't remember the year that I last um, swam in the Peter Pub, but it was certainly around the mid '90s, something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's been a long time. I haven't been down in lawns since that time, uh, let alone swim in the race. But um, yeah, it would have been good to um, to catch up. One of the thing I've, one of the things I was looking forward to, which I've been able to enjoy here, is um, at the different pools I'm swimming with, with different you know, friends and mates and so forth, is, is, is catching up and seeing lots of people that I used to swim with, including yourself, of course. So, um, yeah, it's been really good, but I did miss that in lawn. Yeah, yeah, it's funny when you're in that little uh, sort of, obviously back when you did it, they started um, off the pier and into the water. I don't know whether that changed during the time, but now you go down that little runway at the side of the um, old, I, I don't know whether it's a life um, part of the Life Saving Club, but there's an old sort of... Um, structure there and you're yep. standing there while you're waiting for them to let you through and you always see people that you uh you know pop up beside you that you might have swum with when you were 12 or 13 and it's it's a lovely catch-up so it's a lovely feel down there 
Yeah, well, I'll, I'll hopefully get back next summer and, um, and and maybe come back a little bit fitter if I can. But, uh, <laughs> but certainly uh, it's all about participation, isn't it? And, um, and, and just yeah. get down. It'd be great to swim it. Um, the other big change from jumping off the pier, the other big change, of course, is that everyone wears wetsuits now, whereas uh, back then uh, you were disqualified if you had a wetsuit on and uh, considered a little bit soft. But um, <laughs> now it's the it's the must-have. So, um yeah, I wasn't quite prepared for that, but uh, I'll need to get myself organised next year. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good. Hopefully it'll go on. That's the second year it's been uh, virtual. So let's hope, fingers crossed, that we get back to some normality for next year. Let's Absolutely. take it back to the beginning of your swimming career. How did you first get involved in swimming? Um, probably just like most Australian kids that um, got into the sport, I uh, um, I went for swimming lessons, followed my older brother and elder sister into swimming lessons. And um, I think by the time I was having swimming lessons, we'd joined a swimming club um, and it just sort of took off from there. It was all about just the fun activities that were provided for for, for young kids at the time, you know, toddlers. I think I was probably five or six when we uh, uh, when we joined a swimming club, North Bourne, and, um, and uh, just sort of went from there. It was never about... Um, uh, thinking about things like the Olympic Games or anything. It was really just all about fun. Um, and, um, you know, it wasn't until I guess I'd been swimming and, and, and coming up through age group um, competitions and swimming age group nationals and things like that. It wasn't until that stage that I'd really thought, oh, hey, I could go on and do something here and thought about the Olympics and so on. It was really just about being with my friends and having having a good time. Yeah, and you guys used to train out of that old pool on Tram Road, didn't you? The, yes, uh, we did. It's yeah. an old uh, um, Julie McDonald was her maiden name, Julie Dyring. Um, it was her pool, her learned to swim school in Tram Road and um, uh, four-lane, 25-metre, and it was basically just, uh, yeah, uh, ropes for, for lanes and, uh, well, ropes for lane ropes, obviously, but it was just really pieces of string and and um, no backstroke flags or anything. We had to um, uh, work out sort of um, where the wall was from the, from the roof and, and, um, and very, very choppy in that water. Yeah. Uh, there was no sort of um, wave um, reduction things or anything like that, either in the ropes or any, or any of the ends or sides. So um, I guess, uh, you know, you look back on it and that's probably a good thing because it, it just, you, you'd learnt a lot of skills that maybe you wouldn't get in uh, in today's pools with ropes and and uh, the, the waveless gutters and things like that. Absolutely. And I, it's not even there anymore. Have you noticed that there's a, a freeway that runs through that little uh, area now? So... I'm yes. Not there as a monument to your passing club. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. But um, yeah, Julie and her husband Pete are fantastic, and I catch up with them regularly. And we have a we have a group of us, um, a bunch of uh, swimmers: uh, Tim Luke and Todd Sunderman, and myself and Matt Byrne and a few others who um, we swim in lane three of that four lane pool. So uh, you know, we it's it's the lane three group, and we catch up um, pretty regularly. We have our own WhatsApp chat and uh, and so forth. So it's quite amazing that forty years on. Um, yeah, we're still all good friends and, and in touch with each other. And and as you know, that's one of the great things about um, about swimming and about the sport itself. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. There's some names you mentioned there I haven't heard for years and years. It's um you, you were part of Melbourne Aquatic, which was um, a huge club when we were um, teenagers and some wonderful swimmers. Obviously yourself and your older sister Susie came out of that club. Was that a bit of a springboard to get you into the Institute of Sport? Yeah, it was. And uh, my sister Susie um, got into the AIS uh, 1981. I was still in year 10, 
then, or maybe year 11, um, I finished my uh, secondary school in year uh, in 1982 and went to the AOS after that. But I think Melbourne Aquatic Club was formed around around then, around 1982. Uh, we both just from Commonwealth Games and the club was formed, I think, that summer. Um, and uh, before that, we um, most of the swimmers in in Julie's squad had, um, were, were members of different clubs, whether it be somewhere from Nunawading, I think, even. But there was um, Northbourne was the one and Yarra, and there was a few other clubs that uh, people swam for um but then we pretty much all joined melbourne aquatic and um and became one of the sort of top clubs in the state yeah and what was it like at the institute back in those early days what kind of um sort of training did you do back then i believe sort of all everyone did the same type of training back in those days rather than yeah, they, yeah. etc yeah. They did actually, and it's funny now. You look, you look at it now, and just the, the 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 disciplines, the different disciplines, whether it be the different strokes or distances, whatever, and the different training they do, um, and um, sports science is obviously a lot more uh, involved now. And the AOS is responsible for the development of a lot of the sports science in the eighties. But when um, when I started there, it was still still that philosophy of the more miles you do, the faster you're going to be. Um, and I'm sure a lot of swimmers were burnt out by that. It, it, it helped me being the event that um, I, I um, did, the 400 IM, um, in that my endurance was very strong. I still had decent speed and so forth. But the AIS, um, certainly once I once I joined the AIS, my times um, dropped significantly. Um, and I was only 16 when I joined, so I was still sort of dropping times pretty regularly, but they did drop significantly in those first few years, and, and that was largely as a result of not only the training and, and uh, but also just the confidence that I, I was able to get by training with uh, pretty much the best athletes in the country because um, I'd say probably 60% of the Olympic team in 1984 were training at the AOS at the time. So, you know, it was quite an amazing training environment to be in. Yeah. Who was your coach up there at the time? It was Dennis Persley, the American. And, um, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, um, I'd never had a coach like him. And Julie was my only coach before that. Um, and, um, look, he was, he was great. And I, um, I, uh, I just did what I was told, basically. <laughs> um, he was quite scary at, at times, particularly when I first went as a 16-year-old. But um, I learned a lot from him, uh, respected him enormously. And, um, in fact, I followed him a couple of years later to Canada where he went and trained a club team there. And I spent six months training there in 1986. But, um, so that was my coach there. I've had, I've had various coaches over my career over that sort of 10-year period. But obviously, Julie was the one that sort of took me through from learn to swim through the junior ranks and into that um, into that Australian team environment. Yeah. And your time at the Institute, what's sort of a bit of a hell set that you can remember that sticks in your mind from that time? Um there's probably a lot, um, and you can't you can't shake them. The two the, the two sets we, we used to do this thing called well we, we it was termed Hell Month or Endurance Month, and um, and it would get harder and harder each week over a four week period, and and then you'd move into what they call the quality phase of the season, and then from there into into taper and so forth. Um, but the endurance period was pretty tough, a lot of mileage, but some of it was also quite uh, a lot of short rest interval stuff, and probably the two um, hardest things I did. Uh, um, 100 100s or 110 that was long course uh, we all had to um, attempt that and I, and I think I got to um, 
uh, about 86 or 87 100s and and uh, just hit a wall. Um, but I finished it off, but not on 110 cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one was um, being a being an IM swimmer. Uh, we had to do over distance butterfly training, and um, in across the hell month in week one, the the fly set was 3,000 for time long course, and then it built up. It was an extra kilometer added each week. So week two was 4,000, week three 5,000, and then uh, in um, in hell week it was a 6,000 meter fly for time. And um, that was uh, that was pretty awful. I, I, I still remember my time. It was one hour eighteen, so it was a one minute eighteen per hundred um, cycle I was averaging. But um, yeah, I can't I'm, I can't make twenty five meters fly these days. <laughs> Did you get any shoulder injuries from that time? No, no, I was very lucky uh, with that. And I know shoulders have played uh, have plagued a lot of swimmers over the years, and uh, particularly butterflies. But I, I was really lucky. I, I think I had kind of not quite double jointed um, shoulders, but you know, a lot of flexibility in um, in my um, body, uh, arms and legs, and and torso and so forth. And and that um, that helped me a lot with um, injury prevention and and so on. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I clearly remember your sister Susie in at the old state swim centre and she must have been in a race before me in the marshalling area and she was reaching down to the step below her with her hand, with her elbows, and she touched her elbows to the step below. I'd never wow. seen one that flexible. <laughs> so obviously she's passed that on to her daughter, Emma, because she seems to be quite a sort of similar body frame and flexibility as well, but it must be in the genes. Yeah, maybe it is, and um, yeah, Emma and Susie very similar in their in their frame. Um, uh, I'll ask Emma about that one if she can um, touch the floor with her elbows. I'm sure she probably could, but um, yeah, Susie was really flexible, and uh, and being a butterfly, that was um, very advantageous, of course. Yeah, of course. Now I know you made the Aussie team to the Commonwealth Games in '82, but I wanted to jump ahead to '84 in LA. Talk us through the lead up to that 400 IM. Probably, probably the thing I remember most. Look, we're going back a long way. Um, but the thing I remember most, I was I was seventeen and I turned eighteen just before the game. So I made the team um, at the trials about four or five months before the games. We had a little break, maybe a week, and then then it was virtually a new season, and uh, it was all about the Olympics. And it's probably the first time I'd been introduced to sports psychology, and um, and again that was at the AIS, and and really um, uh, had the opportunity to, to to work with the sports psychologist and focus on um, goal set, well, not just goal setting, but sort of process um, and 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 uh, setting sort of goal times, split times, and so forth throughout the race. And I had um, after the trial come up with a, a time that I believed I was capable of doing and, and that was something that I focused on and, and when I was going through this process on a very regular basis with the sports psych um, in terms of how I would swim the race um, I found that helped me a lot obviously the training was was very intense in that in that period and I, um, I, I set about having made the Olympic team set about improving again I believed I was capable of winning a medal um, but um, you know, never knew what was going to happen. I turned 18. We went across to Los Angeles and um, uh, the, I was swimming on day two of the of the swimming and, and back then it was heats in the morning and finals were in LA it was in the afternoon four o'clock in the afternoon um and I was quite nervous the night before I'd seen day one of the swimming and seen some Australians some of my teammates win medals um I hardly slept a wink um that night um and but felt pretty good in the water for the heats dive, uh, dived into the water and um my goggles came down around my mouth oh, no. and filled up with water um in the heats I kept I managed to keep them on and um and 
and ripped them off about the sort of 150 metre mark, but uh, got through to the final, albeit in lane one. Um, I was tired because I'd hardly slept, so I think they actually probably helped me because I, I, I went back to the to the uh, accommodation, had a really good sleep and a good meal and came back for the final, full of confidence. And really the only other thing I remember from the race is um, uh, from – uh, standing on the blocks and um, the nerves were going and, and, you know, the adrenaline going and so forth. And as soon as the gun went off, that all disappeared. And it was almost like I just went into automatic pilot. And, you know, we, we uh, talked to many athletes, swimmers and all sorts of other athletes, and they talk about, about that, the zone or automatic pilot or whatever it is. And I was, I was very fortunate that I think the sports psych work that I'd done helped a lot. And I really just swam the race as I um, uh, wanted to execute it. And it was all about the process, not about the result. Um, the only other thing I remember is turning at the 300 in an IM coming from breaststroke. You're not really, you know, especially in lane one, had no idea where anyone was and turned and hoped that I would see daylight. Um, I knew I wasn't winning. I could see a couple of guys further in front, but I hoped I could see daylight between anyone else. And I turned and there was um, certainly two guys, you know, well in front, two or three seconds in front. And then there was a, a wall of four four other athletes all in a row. There might have been three other athletes all in a row. I thought, oh, geez, um, this is going to be hard work. I was in a lot of pain, <laughs> but managed to get to the wall third and, and got the medal and, um, and, and and that was great. So, yeah, that's that's my memories from, from 84. And uh, maybe as I get older, the memories will get um, more, even more enhanced. <laughs> I remember listening to it on my, do you remember those little Sony Walkman cassette players? They were sort of probably about this big and you put a tape in. And I remember we were at school and I snuck, snuck it into an assembly and I was listening in one headphone and because obviously we were at school and they didn't really play, you know, heats and finals in those days. It was sort of an aftermath. And I remember thinking, you know, how, how great is this? A Victorian swimmer who lives, you know, <laughs> just down the road from me has won this bronze medal and it was just great for Victorian swimming at the time. And, um, you know, I've always been such a such a fan of that swim of yours. And even when I see 400s now, I think, are they going to beat Rob's time from that from those Olympics? <laughs> for many years, think, Australians yeah. didn't get anywhere near it until Brendan Smith this year. Yeah, no, but, thanks, Danielle. And, and um, look, it was uh, it, looking back on it now, clearly it's a career highlight and, and yeah. so forth. And um, But, uh, yeah, I was absolutely thrilled to see... Um, to be in Tokyo, actually, see Brendan win that um, that medal on day one of the um, or the first first morning of finals in Tokyo. It was just a brilliant swim, and and yeah. um, uh, I think his time was four ten, so significantly faster. I was a good ten seconds behind Brendan Smith's time from uh, from last year, but wow. uh, yeah, things have moved on. That's for sure. Yeah, but it took a long time though, didn't it? Like for a long time, absolutely. Yeah. There was a lot of Australian swimmers trying to, um, you know, come after you and, and beat you in that um, for her, even when you've retired, obviously, but no one was getting close to those times. So. No, and uh, maybe I'm sure Brendan never had to get, do a uh, 6,000 butterfly for time either, so maybe that's oh. the difference. But, uh, look, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic to see the development of the sport, not just in Australia but around the world and, and see the athletes keep getting faster and faster and and um, just better training techniques, better opportunities, and, and particularly athletes can go on and have a longer career and compete well into their 20s, if not 30s. And um, that really wasn't around in our time. It was unheard of to, 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 to even have an athlete that was maybe even 24 or 25 um so you know the sport has moved on as it should um and it's it's been great to to see that 
Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's pivot a little bit and talk about your professional life as a sports manager. Um, I know you're still involved with um, swimming because you represent a lot of swimmers, obviously past swimmers like Michael Klim and Susie O'Neill and now Adam Peaty and your niece, Emma McKeon. How did you get involved in um, being a sports manager? Um, I couldn't get a job anywhere else, basically. I was, I was, I was, I was working, look, I was, I was working at Australia Post. I was managing a post office in the city in Melbourne and uh, right. um, Sydney was announced as the, um, the winner for the, uh, of the bid for the 2000 Olympics. So this is back in 1993 and that, that kind of planted the seed a little bit. But then a year on, I had the opportunity to do some commentary at the Commonwealth Games in Canada. Um, and that was really the thing, getting back into that elite sort of sporting and swimming environment and seeing, um, um, you know, just feeling like I belong there. Um, And uh, so I thought maybe sports marketing might be an an avenue. Um, I applied for quite a few different jobs in sports marketing and couldn't get a job. And so I just started my own company um, and um, sort of went from there. And I was was lucky, obviously, I knew knew quite a few different athletes and obviously knew um, various media and so forth. And I... I'd like to say I knew what I was doing, but I was really learning as I was going. Uh, Michael Klim was my first client in Nepal Livingston, um, and they're still with us um, today, um, whatever period, what is that, 26 years later, which is quite amazing. Um, and it's just sort of built from there. So we, we do a whole lot of other things, but swimming has always been a, um, an integral part uh, of not just the business, but also the athletes who we represent. And it's yeah, some incredible athletes along, along the way. I'm not going to name them because there's a lot of them that have gone on and won Olympic gold medals and world championships and so on. And they're all just brilliant to work with and, and to play a very small part in their careers is, um, is, is great. Yeah. How, how do you choose a swimmer? Do they come to you or do you approach them? Um, it's, it's, it varies. Um, certainly, um, if I use the example of my work in, in, um, in Britain where I live, um, now, uh, Rebecca Adlington was the first British swimmer that I signed and she just won the 400, 800 freestyle at the 2008 Olympics. Um, and I had to pitch to, um, to, to her and her team, her, her family, basically, and a coach. Um, and so that was a, a pitch, a, a bid process, if you like. Um, but, then it, but it does come down to reputation and word of mouth. And it's a, it's a small industry, if you like. So, you know, if you do the wrong thing by people, it gets out pretty quick. If you do the right thing, and you look after people and someone like Becky, um, her priority um, was the home Olympics four years later. It was not about making as much money as she could and, and you know, and all that sort of stuff. Um, that was important, but the priority was performance and, and um, everyone's got different priorities and they change over their, over their lifetime or their career as well. So it's really understanding that um, and also uh, and trying to understand what they want to do once they're finished, um, either in the pool or on the track or wherever it might be as well and working with them on that so um nowadays they do come to me more often than not um but uh we're pretty selective um i do work still work with rebecca adlington uh work with three um british swimmers adam Peaty being one of them and and um yeah so again swimming still at the forefront of the of the people i represent yeah i mean you've got the best life being still being involved in swimming and and going to all those high level competitions and still having that thrill of you know, being there and being part of it. I think that's a, a lovely sort of transition for you from your swimming career now into helping these other swimmers. 
Yeah, very much so. And look, I, I, I am. I do have the best life in that sense, and I'm very, very lucky and very fortunate. It, it is a sport that I've um, obviously loved um, uh, participating in all those years ago, and and um, and to still be involved, albeit more on the periphery, but um, to to observe, to support that uh, some of the athletes a little bit, but to observe. Uh, what they go through, um, the highs and lows, and there's plenty of both um, with all the athletes and, and, and their families and you know, loved ones around them. But to, to observe all of that for such a long period of time has been just uh, you know very lucky and, and feel pretty blessed to be able to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Has sports management changed much since um, social media became involved in, in the whole scene? Yeah, it has. Um and it will continue to evolve as well. Yeah. Um, even social media evolves. You know, TikTok's the, the big thing now, and um, you know, but it, it's it's um, it can, it will always change, and as it should. Um, but uh, sports management. At the end of the day, it still comes down to being a good communicator, whether it's the agent or manager uh, or the, the talent or athlete. Um, if they're good communicators, whether it be on social media or, or between each other um, and, and with the partners, commercial partners and so on, then you're going to get good results. Um, so that's sort of what I think I'm reasonably good at. Um, and, um, you know, I, I make sure I have a very strong relationship with each of the talent that I represent. We only represent a very small number of um, athletes um, to keep it small and to keep it very much one-to-one. Um, -one. And um, so that's important, but also a good relationship with everyone else. Um, as in anything in life, you know, it's, it's, it's being honest, working hard, being kind, um, all, the, all of those traits. Um, and you're also, you know, from my point of view as the manager, I'm all, I'm representing that athlete and that and, and them to the wider to the wider market as well, to the brands and to the media. So I need to act and and um, uh, behave, I suppose, and, and speak as they would expect me to, and and as I would sort of, um, you know, I, I guess show their traits and their um, their sort of personality as much as I can. So it's all good. Um, I learn every day still, uh, all these years on. And, um, you know, the, these, the, the athletes keep me young to a degree um, uh, because, you know, it's, I, am, I am a generation uh, plus um, uh, older than them now. So, um, you know, I, I do make sure that um, there, there are people around me that um, uh, tell me when I'm being um, too much of a dad um, <laughs> to them and, and, and I need to listen to sort of what they want and so forth more yeah yeah no that's that's a good perspective I know you do a bit of commentary as well at um some of the major um competitions around the world who who do you work for when you're doing that um, it's varied over the years. I've spent a lot of time with um, a lot of the games with ABC Radio, ABC Grandstand, and that's been a great experience. Uh, most recently, um, and, I, and I worked with Jared Waitley at ABC in 2016 for the Rio Olympics, and then um, these past Olympics in Tokyo, had the opportunity to go to Tokyo and be working with SEN, uh, where Jared works. So he was in the studio in Melbourne. I could see him down the line, uh, basically a Zoom call, and uh, we were doing the sort of pre and post race analysis, and um, that was probably um uh for obvious reasons with emma competing probably one of the highlights of my i guess the media side of what i do um being there and, and seeing her um just do what she did uh just okay. absolutely incredible but the, the whole australian team and and just also being there after everything that went on with the pandemic and so forth it was just um yeah feel very very lucky to be um in that stadium 
Yeah, I feel like the Australian team's having another sort of resurgence. Like, you know, I feel like it goes through a few cycles. Obviously, 2000 was a great time for the Aussie team. And then obviously we, we still had medalists during those sort of years like Steph Rice in Beijing and whatnot, but it, it had a little bit of a dip in London and now it sort of seems to be coming back up again. Is that the feeling you sort of get with the Aussie team? It is. Um and I think they know, and 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 the people, Rowan Taylor, the head coach, and and the high performance guys know that you know, they just can't be complacent, and and that's one of the great things about any sport is you just can't think, yeah, we're on the rise, we're doing really well. There's so much hard work still to come yeah. to be done. There will be people drop out of the sport as they're as they're either aging or slowing down or or moving on to other things, and yeah. and um, so the talent needs to keep coming through. But there's such a wide variety of um, well, even Olympic champions, not. Uh, let alone Olympic medalists in our team now. And, you know, they go back from Tokyo and, and they um, uh, they go back to their training groups and so forth. And then all of a sudden, all around the country, there's Olympic medalists and Olympic champions in the training group. And that, and that just... Um, that that just spreads belief among the younger kids and so forth. And um, people believe because they see these people, whether it be Emma or Ariane or Kyle or whatever, they believe that, they can be champions just like them. They're just normal people. Um, so I think it's a really exciting time ahead for the next sort of, uh, well, uh, foreseeable future and particularly having a home Olympics in uh, uh, just over 10 years' time. Um, it seems a long way away. It's going to come up really quick. Um, but the future for Australian swimming looks really, really good. Yeah, I agree. Do you see yourself moving back before those next games that we're having in Brisbane? Uh, yes, I think so. I'll I'll um uh, I'll be back uh, at some point before 2032. That's for sure. Probably sooner rather than later, I would say. But look, it's um uh, the next Olympics are, are only well uh, just over two years away now, uh, and they're in Paris. So living in Scotland, where I live, it's it's literally a um an hour and a half plane ride, and um or it's a, a train journey from London. So it's almost that almost the home games. Yeah. Um, but that's that's going to be great to experience from um you know living in Britain and 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 seeing and, and being involved in a, in a small way in the Paris Olympics. And then we're back to LA after that, of course, in 2028. So, um, but we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll, I'm pretty sure I'll be staying where I am until until after the Paris Games, and then we'll see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't want to put you on the spot. Sorry <laughs> about That's that. Right. Um, I know we're under a bit of time pressure, so I'm conscious of sort of winding things up. And I just wanted to, um, I always ask people that come on the podcast, um, fast five questions, the first thing that pops into your mind. So don't feel under too much pressure. It's a pretty easy question. <laughs> um, Favourite swimming pool you've ever swum at? North Sydney. Okay. Under, near Luna Park? Yes, one? under the bridge. Yeah. Yep. It's been a, a common answer, actually. Um, kick or pull? I'll kick or I'll, uh, kick, kick or definitely. Kick? Kick. Yep. Far more social. Yeah, exactly. Favourite stroke of your medley race? Uh, backstroke. Yes. Yeah, you were a backstroker, weren't you, beforehand? Yeah. I thought you were. Yeah. Pool or ocean swimming now? What do you enjoy more? Outdoor pool, um, but ocean if it's warm enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> living in Scotland, that's a bit of a loaded question. So, uh, you know, I, I love an outdoor pool. Um I love it. Anything in the water is great, but uh, if I'm going to swim, uh, ocean would be great if it's warm enough, if not outdoor pool, if it's heated. Yeah, good answer. And now when you get to the pool, what what's your favourite go-to training set? Uh, I don't have one. 
I um, and being back in Australia, I've I've trained as I said, I've I've, I've swum with different uh, mates and friends and so forth at yeah. various pools around Melbourne and and the Bay and so forth, and um, and uh, it's different every time. I, I think my favourite is just the chat. Really, it's it's it is social. Um, the most I think I've done here is about three k, and that's about my limit. Yeah. Uh, it's usually somewhere between two and three k, and it was a pretty tough one this morning at, at the Harold Holt pool, but um, yeah. um, but uh, you know it's um. It's all about it's all about the chat and then the, the coffee afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a nice a nice part of swimming. You know, a lot of people don't understand that sort of uh, doing a set and then having that grabbed conversation in between your fifties at the end, and maybe by the end of your twenty fifties, you you get the full story that someone's trying to tell you. Yes, absolutely. Well, I have seen you swim at uh, Ashburton Pool, Danielle, and there seems to be a lot of conversation going on between <laughs> between sets. There's a lot of talking and giggling, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time. I know you're under a bit of um, a time schedule and it's been lovely catching up with you and seeing you and um, wishing you lots of luck heading forward into the Paris Olympics with everything you're doing. Thanks, Danielle. It's a pleasure to see you and talk to you again and uh, all the best. Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Mark. Just a reminder that Torpedo Swim Talk has partnered with VMeet Swim to bring you a free-to-enter Masters Virtual Swim Meet. You can enter our team or create your own. This is a fun, non-sanctioned meet, meaning times can be taken at training with a push-off or a dive in any format and submitted in short course meters on the digital portal. Really just an opportunity to challenge yourself and have some fun and see where you are against your friends, your squad mates and master swimmers around the world. Links to enter the meet will be in the show notes underneath. Join us and have some fun with this great new initiative. Don't miss out.